Welcome listeners to another episode of Disco Fever, Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, Episode 4, Forget Me Not. And once again, the two marks are delivering an irreverent review, providing you lively debate, conversation and social commentary. Has Earth finally sorted Brexit? Will the Discovery crew fix every problem in the future? Has their Chief of Security realised their shuttle bay door is wide open? Do they have a Chief of Security? All this and more will be unpacked in this week's episode. Let me introduce you to my friend and co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Very good. Good. Yeah, you're getting better with these, aren't you? Thank you. It's way better than when I used to do the intros. One of the things I've been listening to whilst editing the other episodes of the Disco Fever anthology... Slowly. <laughs> ...like a snail on the back of a tortoise. <laughs> we have got better. Oh, thank Christ for that. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. We've only got maybe another 400 episodes and we might be palatable. But you know, I think what it is, is as we've got better, the world's got worse because we have got all of our microphones sorted and the sound level sorted and then COVID hit and we're back in our bunkers recording through two tins of beans and a piece of string. <laughs> People who are listening to this episode will hopefully be glad to know that I haven't had any more dealings with dodgy couriers, so I won't be on a rant. It's no less weird, though, because I haven't mentioned this to you yet, but my new football boots arrived today. Are you wearing them? I'm wearing them because, you know, when you get new boots, they're always really tight, so you need to stretch the leather. So I'm doing them now in the comfort of podcasting world, (laughs) as opposed to getting loads of blisters when you have to actually play. I thought I'd visualise that for you. It's funny you mentioned about your shoes because my new thong arrived the place today <laughs> oh my god that is pink and sparkly Oh, well, moving swiftly along. Also, I'm not going to be complaining about Specsavers. So. <laughs> if this show sounds like it might be your bag, as in we haven't put you off thus far, and if we haven't put you off thus far, then buckle in because I'm sure we'll offend you at some point during the course of proceedings. But nevertheless, if you do enjoy it, when Mark finishes eventually editing our previous episodes from season one and season two, as he flicks me the Vs, <laughs> then you can check us out on the podstation.co.uk, go to the Disco Fever tag and you'll find all the previous episodes we're on all the major podcast platforms so if you subscribe all the shows will naturally drop onto said devices that you use to listen to your show so that's always dead handy we're on all the socials now we actually have a sister show called picard talk which it won't take a genius to figure out was all about the star trek picard season that recently well i say recently it's not anymore is it we're nearly at the end of 2020 <laughs> being locked in my house has meant i've lost time it would seem at the beginning of the year picard came out we did a show exactly the same way as we are doing with this one so you can go and check them out it's picard talk again it's on the podstation.co.uk you can get them on the platforms if you subscribe of course when season two of that starts we'll start pumping our shows out on there as well and you can also find us on social media at the moment we're using the picard talk accounts so that's on facebook twitter and instagram we'll probably change the name at some point to make it more generic because we realized when we set up that we barely do the picard talk one at sufficient competently to have Disco Fever as a page which actually does exist and this one at the same time well you're just asking for trouble aren't you true <laughs> he laughs because he never does anything on the socials he doesn't really care all he has to do is just edit the shows which will be coming to you very shortly <laughs> 
said in the early 1800s. <laughs> I like to think we shared a load. You'd get your likes and your pugs and your touches and your pokes or whatever. And I'm in a darkened dungeon just editing. <laughs> Where it's safe. Of course, it's probably a good time for us to actually get on to doing what it is that we're here to do in the first place, which is talk about all things Star Trek Discovery. Is it not, sir? It is. Before we do do that, you mentioned the Picard talk. A nice little segue to recent events that took place. A group of guys called Starfleet Underground came across our Picard Talk podcast. Was it early part of this year? <laughs> it, was, it was whenever Picard came out, which was probably ages ago. Beginning of the year, when it was it February? Yeah, I think it was the early part of 2020. Anyway, they got in touch with you. Long story short, they very kindly invited the two Marks to visit their show across the pond. Sadly, you were not available, were you, my friend? You had other plans. When they originally contacted us, I managed to get us locked out of Twitter through failing to verify the account within five seconds of Twitter deciding that that was an appropriate thing that needed to be done. Get it sorted, Twitter, because that's super annoying. So we didn't see the message until more recently. And yes, I was unavailable to go on the show, which again has probably saved their ratings. But you went on, so there was some damage that was probably sustained. I I think their whole integrity is now depleted to about 25%. I managed to penetrate them all (laughs) successfully. My Gemma Hadar alter ego managed to decloak off their starboard side, point-to-point transport right onto their main deck and penetrate all of them very quickly before I ran out of Ketracel White. Great bunch of guys. Let me just do a big shout out to Nathan Adams, who is the captain. Patrick Hall, who is the number one. Rocky Robbins. Sounds like ice cream, doesn't it? That's the type of Ben and Jerry's ice cream I like. Can I have the Rocky Robbins, please? He's the engineer. Apparently they've got a new ship, so they're just breaking it in. So Patrick said. And Filthy Heather Ferris. Now, I don't know whether she is filthy. I've been reliably informed that she's a tad rude and they do operate a policy of rudeness, which is great. I fitted in quite well. Thank you for the invitation. It was very enjoyable. Hopefully it wasn't too offensive, my being on your bridge and uh, didn't destroy your warp core. A lot of fun. And I think we have an open invitation to return. Did they find you posh? Because, of course, transatlantic, we can generally tell the difference between some of the more extreme accents going on in the Americas of centralness. But largely, American accents do sound very American, as in the generic American. And I've always wondered, well, I say wondered, I strongly suspect that it's much the same. So did you sound like the chimney sweep from Mary Poppins? Uh... (laughs) I can't remember the guy's name. I know Dick Dick Van Dyke played him. No, well, I mean, the geezer who was actually it. Charlie. Bob. (laughs) Do we all sound like Bob to them? Probably. I think the Dick Van Dyke one has gone down in history as being the worst version of an English accent. However, I probably came across maybe Sean Bean-ish, maybe. I don't know. Sean Um, Bean. Oh, look at that. He looks so happy with himself, if anyone was to ever. In fact, he's even shaved his beard off to make him feel a bit more bean. I look more like a bean than Sean Bean. (laughs) You look like something. Anyway, should we get talking about Star Trek? <laughs> so should we start with the synopsis of what it is that we're going to be gibbering and jabbering on about? Burnham and Adira visit the Trill homeworld in hopes of unlocking the secrets trapped within Adira's mind. Back on the USS Discovery, Saru's efforts to help the crew reconnect with one another take a surprising turn. Discuss. So, what do we think? Oh, man, I'll just get it out there. Not happy with this episode at all. Really? Yeah. After your comments last week about episodes being politically motivated and charged with political messages, I got an abundance of that, the undertones of politicised messages, if I'm being honest. So, uh, 
I liked, obviously I grew up with the Next Gen and Voyager and Deep Space Nine shows and this was very much that kind of an episode. It was a standalone episode. They had action going on. They had a storyline going on the ship. They had a storyline going on the planet. There was emotional context to what it was they were all trying to do, achieve, discuss, etc, etc in both scenarios. This episode, if they'd have slid it into the Next Gen or a Voyager or a Deep Space Space Nine season and sort of swapped all the characters out for those characters, you wouldn't have noticed any difference. So I enjoyed the episode for that very reason, that it was a Star Trek episode. It did all the Star Trek-y things that I fell in love with when I fell in love with watching Star Trek in the first place. However, there are two caveats to that. The first is that the more emotional, character-orientated episodes have never been my more favourite episodes in Star Trek generally. I prefer when shit's getting blown up and people are running around like lunatics and there's exciting stuff going on that obviously wasn't that type of an episode and number two and I said this last week I'm desperate for Discovery not to drop into that what I'd call second gear where all they're doing is they're using the same storylines perhaps with slight modifications but the same storylines in the same style going across in the same way as these previous shows that I've talked about whereas originally Discovery was going to be completely different they, they sold it to us on the basis it was going to be completely different and I'm sure any Star Trek avid fans are sitting here throwing things at their well hopefully not at their phones because you're going to break it and that's just silly people throw it at your wall I don't know because they want traditional they want Star Trek if it doesn't feel like Star Trek then it's not Star Trek whereas my attitude is things should evolve things should be different and as I said to you again last week we can have a series that feels very much like this one but Discovery was supposed to have a different crew on a different ship every season. It started off in season one as being a really dark and pretty gruesome Game of Thronesy start type approach, and we've moved away from that. And what I feel is that Discovery's kind of got halfway along and thought, hmm, maybe we should start pandering towards the normal old school Star Trek fans as opposed to continually trying to push those boundaries, continually upset people, but at the same time engage with people like me who love Star Trek but want something new and fresh. And those who might not have been into Star Trek originally and are enjoying this new version because the original one just felt a bit too cheesy and that's kind of how I felt about this episode really. I didn't feel it jumped out as an episode that I would particularly rank high in the previous Discovery episodes we've seen. Yes there was character development to take on what you've just said if it was a next generation episode I believe that actually even if you did swap out the characters you would have a different nuance to it because I don't believe that Deanna Troy would deal with the same PTSD or emotional baggage that the crew carrying in the same way been presented she would do a one-to-one with every member of the crew bear in mind Saru isn't the counsellor the AI on the computer Zora if you've seen Calypso in the short tracks is egging him on I mean how many people put your hand up how many people if Alexa tells you to jump off a cliff how many people will listen to Alexa how many people follow their sat navs and then end up in a lake I found that bit I mean we'll come to that bit I found that quite amusing anyway but for entirely different reasons the point I'm making is we actually had on the Enterprise a counsellor who would take someone out of the collective group of people would speak to them one to one get them to tell her what it was not have Dr Culber go well I know you're not telling me the truth we'll accept that you're not telling me the truth and then suddenly go "Mm, we need to do something new and a bit out the box and the other thing as well what we have to remember is Star Trek was pioneering because they'd abolished all of the problems 
homes. We're looking through the lens of what we live in right now. So we've got maybe confirmation bias or my side bias, particularly depending on what the story arcs about. We're looking at Star Trek as a form of escapism in the 24th century, 32nd century, whatever it is, where at that point, there's no famine, there's no war, there's no racism because people live together, they get on and they live equally. That's all done. So what we don't need to do is pander to people going, hang on, we need to talk about this because right now in the real world, people are struggling for equality. People are struggling to get their voices heard and to have equal footing against the other. That's not why I watch Star Trek. You said the other week, if you want to watch the news, you can watch the news. If I want to watch people rallying against whatever, I'll put panorama on. For me, this episode was, let's get your placards out, march on London. Let's start at the beginning of the episode then. The Doctor started with a log. This was a very much a Dr. Colbert-driven episode. And to be honest, I really like this character and I thought he did a very good job throughout this episode. I find him quite calming and reassuring and the way he talks, he does have that counsellor-esque vibe and I suspect as a doctor he's got an element of training, although as we've said all along, it just bamboozles you why on a spaceship with the likelihood of mental distress being caused in a variety of possible circumstances, you wouldn't have an army of psychologists on board ready to help and support the crew. Instead, you've got people who are having to fit square pegs in round holes to meet that demand, which has always been a bit mad. But yeah, I enjoyed the start. I enjoyed his little log where he's, he's explaining the problems that they're looking to tackle. I enjoyed the tour of the ship. It's quite nice to see other parts of the ship. I mean, I know they were only briefly and, and what have you, but like seeing the gym that Dietmar was working out in, it's like I'd like to see more scenes in more settings on the ship rather than the corridor ones or the bridge or the captain's thing or the engine, the single engineering room which seems to have a camera in it. Everywhere, everywhere else seems to be off limit, uh, which is annoying because originally when we came on the Discovery there was the Section 31 soldiers standing outside of one of the doors and when we originally were in, Lorca had his secret warrior weapons hubby hole. So there are loads of really cool little rooms on Discovery and I feel we miss out on them because we don't get to see it and I can't believe for a second it's entirely budget related because Jesus Christ, they must spend a fortune on this show. I'm assuming they had the guard posted outside the door because at that point in time there was either technology that Section 31 were using rather than the room be completely off limits. It just happened to be where they were stationed. When we've seen other parts of the ship on other shows that had less budget, as you say, you would expect to see more, wouldn't you? Yeah, the idea was it's a science vessel and so there was lots of science labs dotted around all testing and trialling and doing lots of different things and so the idea was every time you go through a new door, it's almost like going onto a new planet because they're doing something new, they're looking at something new, they're playing with something new and we don't really get to see that so I mean that's by the by really it doesn't have an awful lot to do with this episode I'm just saying I enjoyed seeing everyone work out it's nice to see they're keeping themselves physically healthy if not yeah. mentally healthy I got the impression from this episode it was kind of about lockdown and Covid and being on your own and it was tapping into people's isolation in the lockdown environment you know one of the things that we will find coming out of this is how much we actually need well some of us I don't but how people need human contact I don't That's know the- I went to KFC on Wednesday and no excuse me no fucker was social distancing none of them were wearing masks and none of them were following any of the rules so I suspect they're not having any issues with lockdown because they're not doing anything with it also if you go into KFC COVID-19 is the least he worries <laughs> They didn't get five stars from the health and safety office anyway. Allegedly. I don't know that for a fact. Let's just quantify that. 
<laughs> the episode really focused on the undertones of people carrying problems. It's about mindfulness, isn't it? Essentially, I wouldn't say it's particularly PTSD because I'm sure as Starfleet officers, they've been through a lot more. How many times on Star Trek Next Generation they were being fired upon by a Romulan bird of prey or the Borg were assimilating them? How many times did you see, apart from Captain Picard, how many members of the crew went to Deanna Troy and said, I was assimilated by the Borg, I'm struggling with all these implants, can I have some help? Never. It didn't happen. Now, somebody falls out of the sky from a wormhole, everyone's panicking, and there's only 88 members of staff. I mean, on the Enterprise, you're at about 300. The Dietmer issue is quite a weird one, because if you watch episode two, when they're going into the wormhole, and while they're in the wormhole, she seems absolutely fine. Mm. What happens then is, when they crash onto the planet, she gets thrown over the front console, and prior to her being thrown over the front console, she seems relatively fine, she seemed focused, whereas when she climbed back into the driving seat after being thrown, that's when she seemed to be completely, well, she seemed a completely different person, she seemed distant instantly, and there wasn't anything particular that happened at that point that would have caused that. Now, maybe that's the whole point, maybe it doesn't need to be, maybe these things just happen, I don't know. Maybe I'm just fortunate enough that that hasn't happened to me, and therefore I couldn't understand that, but it always seemed a bit weird because then she went all glassy-eyed pretty much from that point onwards, and how many Star Trek series have you got to season three and you didn't know the name of every single crew member the one who sits next to her on the front console she's supposed to be a busy mate and fellow pilot and she's completely missed from the first three episodes the fact that her mate's looking all glassy eyed yes. this is the thing is that we've had this happen on season two we've had it happen other times if we're gonna start kicking off about the fact we're all struggling with our own problems you need to take a look at yourselves as a crew ask yourself are you looking after the person who you sit next to as ably as you should be we shouldn't be getting to the point where everyone's offloading. I operate this thing called radical honesty and someone says to me, how are you? If I'm not okay, I'll tell you how I'm feeling. You might not like to receive it. That's not my problem. You shouldn't have asked me how I was. But if someone says to you, you're okay and you say, yes, I'm fine. Human nature is, I ain't going to investigate further. You then go into episode three and four with some heavy weights you're carrying and you've been asked categorically by a superior officer, a doctor who by definition is a superior officer because of his rank and his medical background and you've gone, I'm fine. He's going to take that as red so then suddenly you have a powder keg created that isn't something whether you're on a ship in the future or a naval vessel or in the army that anybody wants to be carrying because if you go mental you could wipe out your whole crew and they go well, how did that happen I've got no idea because I did ask them how they were and they said they were fine and I didn't investigate any further because I just couldn't be asked with an answer that was negative but really speaking are you being the best friend you can be because you clearly sat next to somebody who's your fellow comms officer and you've done fuck all to help her uh, and I'm going to keep lighting this fuse paper because it seems like this is your week to rant. I'm going to light the fuse paper a touch more because for the last two episodes, we've very much sung high praises of our good old friend Stamets, who has been both very dry and humorous, but largely thanks to Reno, who has been fabulous. And then in the last episode, you were quite complimentary of him yes. about how almost fatherly he was to Adira when talking to her when he'd taken her to one side. I think we got the good old Stamets in this episode, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> and oh. I know the character's not supposed to be likeable as such by virtue of the fact that they've created the character with a personality that's sort of destined to rub against you. But he doesn't do himself any favours, does he, the character? I mean, no. maybe the actor's doing a fabulous job because he is so unlikable, but in this one, he is a prize knob. I mean, if I worked with him, I'd have thrown him out of the Jeffreys tube if it had yeah. spoken to me in the same way that he spoke to Tilly in 
the engineering room. As much as I'm ranting particularly about this show, maybe because we as a country have just gone back into lockdown again and having watched some of the scenes in this episode, I don't really need more of this. I had to watch Schindler's List to cheer myself up. The whole episode was just more doom and gloom. Everyone's not happy. One of the things I really thought was going to be a turning point for this season was, and you touched upon it in one of our previous podcasts, they seem to be building the characters more. All the people that used to be in the background in season one, season two, there seems to have noticeably been an evolution of those characters. And the writers have gone, well, actually, let's throw some more meat on the bones and let's give Detmer more of a character development. Let's have some more interaction between Stamets. Let's see another side of Stamets. Even going back to what you said before, Culber, it was nice that he narrated the intro and I don't dislike him as a character per se. I think the scenes between him and Stamets can be a little bit boring. He seemed to develop well this episode and Stamets seemed to do well last episode. And the sad thing is that seems to have been overshadowed by the fact that the story they're telling is focusing too much on the political narrative than the beautiful storytelling that we know and love from classic Trek. Poor old Saru is stuck in the midst of this. I mean, he is left shoveling shit in all directions, bless him. One thing I did notice about Saru is he has a, what I call a wallet check habit. When he's talking to people, he does this patting of his legs as though he's checking which pocket his wallet was in. You know that one where you go, oh shit, did I remember my wallet? And he, <laughs> look if, if you wanted to know what I mean, watch the scene where the Trill geezer comes on as a hologram when they first communicate with the planet. And when he appears, Saru takes a step forward, does the wallet check, just to make sure that this hologram ain't going to nick his wallet. And then starts the conversation. And I've noticed he does it a few times. He does it in his captain's room a little bit later when he's having that hilarious conversation with the computer. Number one, would you not be slightly concerned and, and warrant a little bit of an investigation when your computer turns from blue to red as a brief moment and then back to blue again? Bearing in mind, you've just had to defeat something that was going to destroy the entire universe as an artificial intelligence. And then just to cap it all off, starts talking to you like your busy mate, which I found really funny because, of course, we always joke about the fact that when they downloaded the data pace from the sphere, it was basically just a gargantuan amounts of porn and and <laughs> and and when she starts talking she's talking with this really seductive voice going oh why don't we watch a movie I'm thinking shit where's this going bearing in mind we know what's on this database what movie is she talking about showing to the whole queue with this rather seductive style of voice as she's talking to him I'm thinking whoa Saru steady dude <laughs> this could be a trap 50 shades of Saru <laughs> watching his ganglia falling off the first thing as you say you'd have again a breach of security has no one seen two 2001 A Space Odyssey with Hal and it goes my mind is going Dave Dave my mind is going and then it goes psychotic and kills the crew it went red then spoiler alert Stanley Kubrick made it in the 70s so I'm sure if you haven't seen it you're probably Generation Y in which case it's wasted on you anyway um, <laughs> you're probably too busy watching the ice cream on a photograph <laughs> Also, while I'm on a rant, just so you know, Generation Y are going to be the shittest old people. Why? Because you and I have been brought up in the age of photography and we'll be able to show people, there's my family and there's when we went to Whitley Bay and there's me at Blackpool Beach. Generation Y will show a picture. That's the food I had. That's an ice cream. That, that was a pint of beer I had at a pub. Just that's it. Wow, you're really on a mission today, aren't you? <laughs> to offend everybody, every tribe. What did you think about the Sunday oh. dinner scenario? Because I thought it was a good idea by Saru. Although, 
But I have to say, I'd be slightly worried about some of those dishes that were being put out because in order to cater for every single species, you're going to have some seriously weird food. I mean, what's the lizard guy called? Stan. Stan? Who came up with that? Linus. For example, Linus, I mean, he was tucking into what I could only imagine was like a grub, whereas, I don't know, Tilly looked to be getting the gravy in the Yorkshire puddings. So (laughs) the two don't normally sit next to one another at a dinner table. So it was always going to be interesting. Everyone eating the different foods. I thought it was a good one. I do have a a query. I'll let you voice your thoughts about this situation and how it quickly descended into an absolute carnage before I throw out my query, which you picked up on a couple of episodes ago, but I think now has a lot more substance to it. So anyway, let's talk about the carnage first, and then we'll double back onto that. I think it was a good idea to get the crew together. I'm surprised we've never seen it before. Discovery more so in season two, because I felt that Captain Pike had a better relationship with the crew. I know because we've seen it before that Picard did in fact have dinners with the higher ranking members of the crew and he had his ready room used more frequently for meetings and collective decisions being made rather than just bark orders from the captain's chair. I thought it was a good idea that the computer that he didn't know suggested that they should have a meal. But when I was watching this meal, I was thinking if it's anything like any family dinner, particularly at Christmas, let's be honest, when you've had a few pints down here, shit's gonna go wrong. And it did. But you see, I didn't think it needed to go that way. I mean, it seemed perfectly pleasant until Dietmer. First question, what the fuck is a haiku? A tone of words. It's a poem with a five-syllable, seven-syllable, five-syllable. Who sits there and tries to come up with haikus like that? I mean, everyone around the table will suddenly have a go at haiku. And apart from the fact that my brain clearly doesn't work as fast as them, because there's no way I can go, oh yeah, no, hang on, that's six syllables. No, you've missed that one. I just thought they were just saying random stuff. I didn't think it was needed for the story because if you didn't know what a haiku was you're fucked aren't you well that and then Dietmar starts going all sadistic she's like mopping up Stamets's head with the blood on the floor we shoved a pole in his neck and used his hair as a means to clean it up well we couldn't clean it up so we stripped <laughs> his carcass of all clothes it's like dude we're all sitting having a meal where's this come from everyone's just said we all love each other everyone's just toasted the fact that we all made the sacrifice together and we're sticking together and now you're talking about poor old Stamets who as much as we dislike the guy he's had a bit of a rough 24-48 hours and here are you just talking about his blood and just generally being quite well psychotic really wasn't she the thing just led towards this greater thing that has been going on behind the scenes been created by the impact of being thrown over the front of your comm station it went dark pretty quick and it was quite jovial again Giorgio was doing the best things she could to try and well she um, was just getting rat ass wasn't she she was there on the lemoncellos knocking them back at six ways a Sunday. And even that was light-hearted. When you're just about kelp crop harvesting, it's just a, a jovial dig at Saru, I suppose, based on the fact that she used to eat kelpians when she was in the Mirror Universe. But you see, this goes down to the point of what we were talking the other week is we know she's evil, but we tolerate that level of evil. We know what she's done, but we're okay with it. It's fine. <laughs> it's like having a family dinner and inviting Fred West. I know what you've done. Let's have some more Yorkshire pods. It's fine. Let's do a haiku. We do like your witty bants, so we'll ignore the fact that you've serial killed numerous people. You're funny, but you're plastering shit. <laughs> That's only funny if you understand who Fred West is. And then obviously everything sort of starts to kick off. And I've got a couple of bugbears. The first one is that the only person who Saru pulls up during the course of this meal is Tilly when she calls them all assholes. And yes. in fairness, I can't help you send email on Apple Watch. 
Shut up. What's he telling us to do? Wank off into the screen. <laughs> he must wank off right now. So Tilly calls everyone an arsehole because they are being arseholes. And Sue goes, Tilly! And she's going, hang on a minute, did you just not hear Dima like properly going dark on Stamets and making fun of the fact that he nearly died? Or the fact that Stamets has then had a go at her back? We seem to be missing a crucial part of this conversation. You've just gone straight for poor old Tilly. He was only saying what everyone else was thinking, which is everyone's being a bit of a knob. And then on the back of that, Obviously, Stamets storms off. Dietmar storms off. And then everyone goes, oh, well, <laughs> seems we can go out. I'm off as well, Saru. And Saru said, they go, where, where, the, where are you going? You seem quite happy until a moment ago. No one's offended you. <laughs> where are you? And then everyone just walks off. And then, obviously, Giorgio being the cool person that she is, obviously ignoring the mass genocide and just general right-wing <laughs> philosophies on life, picks up a bottle of plonk. <laughs> heads off to her room to get even more rat ass. Probably with Stan. Well, this is the thing, right? So, Linus, you've made a claim in, I think it was episode two, because I thought she was accosting him in episode two because he had the amazing eyesight so that he could see where they were going because they didn't have any sensors because the ship was down. You implied that there may have been more sexual motivation going on there. And since then, I have to say, I mean, this episode particular, I mean, in the last episode, there was a couple of suggestions that that was the case in this episode they're sitting next to each other at the dinner table later on at the movie he hands her popcorn I think there's something going on there that scene there for me made it clear from the body language the aiming to get her affections and impress her with popcorn I mean no one else had popcorn no he lingered he stood there right in front of her and she kind of just observed him and then decided to just acknowledge the fact that he's got her popcorn all this tells me she's getting boned well they've goosed and Giorgio being the cold heartless soul that she is is ready to move on whereas poor Linus has fallen in love you know he's never been goosed that way before and therefore is just clinging around in the hope that Giorgio when she gets drunk a little bit later on will turn around struggle to find anyone and grab Linus again and here we go but I genuinely think that could be a storyline at some point and actually it'd be a fantastic storyline I'd love to see where that's going particularly bearing in mind that Giorgio doesn't strike me as someone who's particularly alien well she's not alien friendly is she? Well, no, she kills them all and eats them. Yeah, so this would be a very weird off-kilter storyline if it, it were to transpire. Well, at the moment, a Me Too campaign going on right there, isn't it? <laughs> With who, though? That's the question. Me who? <laughs> Maybe she's like a praying mantis. Maybe she's going to, as you say, goose him everywhere. And then next minute, he's gone missing. Where's Linus gone? She's rubbing her mouth and she's eating him. <laughs> as after he got too clingy, so she just cooked him. Yeah. What do we think of Burnham now? Because we've seen a couple of episodes of Burnham. Burnham and she's changed incredibly certainly since season one but even more so since season two and she's only been separated from the crew for what has been a year and sure I couldn't change to that extent over a year but she has she's almost become just relaxed smiley and cool I mean everything about her her mannerisms when she was walking with Adira to the transporter pad to go down to Trill the way she sort of dealt with that conversation even the way she was walking it was sort of quite a loose bodied way of doing it I mean quite frankly I always thought Burnham was a real stick in the mud I didn't particularly warm to the Burnham character over seasons one and two I think this version of her is immense I have to say oh I love the way she's been written this season I like the fact that she's a renegade I mean season one gave inklings to the fact that she wasn't going to follow all the rules and she would do what it takes that was the whole reason why they ended up going into the Klingon war was because of the decision she made so there was already undertone 
tones of her character traits. All I think that the writers are doing now have gone, let's go full-blown rebellious. And I can see her being a rogue. You know, I could see her being outside of the Federation because the Federation doesn't exist. So now there's really good opportunities to develop that. And if they decided to spin off this show and do a show with just the Burnham show, it would be nice to have her as she is right now. Well, she goes off-piste when she goes down to Trill, which I suppose is probably the next bit that we should talk about. It was like, I ho, I ho, off to Trill we go with just two people again. Um... We could take three or four people. We could take a doctor who would obviously be a liaison between the Trill to help Adira and deal with sort of the medical side of things. We could have a couple of people to deal with the diplomacy side of things, possibly see where they're at in terms of potentially joining the Federation. Probably take a couple of people for security purposes because you don't know what's down there and how are you going to be greeted. But no, Discovery doesn't do that. That's not the protocol, is it, Mark? The protocol is what? As few people as possible, making sure that high-ranking members of the command. Yeah, two people predominantly. Now, Ash Tyler, we've left in whatever century it was we've left him in. So Burnham now has to find a newer way, buddy. And in this particular occasion, Deira is obviously it. To be honest, when the Trill geezer came as a hologram on the bridge, I turned to my missus, who wasn't particularly watching, and I said, he's a baddie. He's going to be a bad guy. Because they all look like bad guys, don't they? I mean, he looked like a bad guy as soon as I saw him. I was like, yeah, he's going to be a pain in the arse at some point and it's probably going to be something on the lines of they're not going to let the trill go they're going to want to extract it or they're going to want to keep her on the planet because that's usually what happens in old Star Trek away missions isn't it they land down and they want to do something or keep something but isn't that a sad indictment of the fact that if you can tell who the baddie's going to be before they've even got into second act of the episode it's not a good thing no it's not although when I use the word bad guy I must use it very loosely because the way in which Burnham just shoots all three of them (laughs) rendered the bad guy element to that analogy pretty dormant. He didn't approach it with any great respect with the intentions of achieving what he wanted to achieve. Got his ass handed to him and then pretty much gave up being the bad guy very quickly. Very flip-floppy. It was all unicorns and rainbows by the end. As a viewer, you're supposed to be entrenched in that episode and go, is it going to be a good outcome? The trail we get to see them for the first time in this season and in fact of Star Trek Discovery, we get to see the proper trail hosts. I didn't think they spent enough time on that especially when we've actually seen the Trill homeworld before so I thought for an episode that once again we'll go into another planet that's got problems they're not a member of the Federation not been in touch with the Federation for some time we've now got this controversial issue or we've got a Trill who's got a human host how dare you how dare you have that happen that's never been heard of how dare you get off my planet that's not very hospitable so you got all that going on and I thought well actually we could have spent a bit more time developing a story that we could come back to later in the season or maybe later on in season four but they didn't as a previous episode we've got a problem it's all right the federation from the past is here to fix your future problems again rushed episode it's a shame as well we said this last week we've seen trill before i think it was deep space nine when i can't remember whether it was jedzia or esri dax had to go back and we went to the caves didn't we in fact Mm. i'm not even sure cisco didn't go we've kind of been there we've almost done this kind of story before we've definitely done the trill symbian human thing on next gen with Riker. This sort of goes back to what I said at the outset where I feel this storyline didn't have an originality that it should have really. I did find it quite amusing that the secret caves have like an environmentally friendly light switch. The fellow has to put his hand in some water to switch the lights on in what is supposed to be a temple. It's like all the lights switch off. Okay, that's very... He's got got the clapper. 
when the lights come on. Alexa, lights on in Temple, please. It just felt a bit done. I mean, I understand why they had these scenes because Adira is obviously going to be a big character in this season and possibly going forward. And we needed to know her background. And I didn't particularly have an issue with doing that per se. We always used to do it in Next Gen where there was an episode that would be focused on a member of the crew. Ironically, this is what we've been calling for about the rest of the crew for two seasons now. This is part of the reason why we don't know the names of Dietmar and her pilot buddy. Is it a Wowo? Well, well, that's not her full name, but that's what Pike called her. The two guys behind, don't know who they're called. Uh, You know, there's a lot of characters we don't know anything about whatsoever. And Mm. essentially, they needed one of these episodes, like the one that we've given to Adira, to give her that context, that substance, where we kind of start to understand who she is, what she's made up of, where she's going, why she is the way she is, and how she's wound up with this squid, I think she calls it, inside of her. So I don't have an issue with that. As I say, it's very Star Trek-y to do that. I do think it was necessary, and I did quite enjoy it. It's not one of my more favourite parts of a Star Trek show, that kind of thing, because as I say, I'm a very basic creature. I prefer the, the bangs, the crashes, and the zooming around in spaceships, as opposed to the more character-centric emotional storylines, probably because I'm an emotional inept, but so be it. It was done well. I, I quite enjoyed it. It was decent. We now know a bit more about her, and hopefully that will mean that we can move on to some other characters now and do likewise. They've done her character. We still don't know who the two people at the navigation screens no. are. We're in a season that's got 13 episodes. Yeah, so we've 16. used an episode to explain one person, really. I know we're all contradicting ourselves because on the one hand we're asking for this, and then the other hand we're saying we haven't really got enough episodes. That's not really our problem. Create more episodes or make them longer, and then you can fit this stuff in, I suppose. Well, um, Next Generation, 24 episodes. Remember Lieutenant Barkley? Yes, you had an episode centric to that character, but he was also a reoccurring character that you saw throughout the season. This one's got 13. Last time was 14 episodes, and the first season was 15 episodes. So you've got a finite amount of time, and each one of these is around 40, 45 minutes each. When you're looking at the timestamp, and they're only into the first thing, walking down a corridor, and you're 16 minutes into it, so nearly 50% of the show, and you've achieved very little. To waste an episode on having her story shoehorned in, I'm very happy with the character development episode. We got rid of Book very quickly. We're in episode five next week, which we need to establish what we're going to do about getting back to the main universe from the past. The problem you've got now is we've now got to keep on that trajectory. It just seems to be a tick box of, and this is the problem. If you're going to just shoehorn in, oh, by the way, we've gone to the Trill homeworld. Oh, here we go. We're going to sort out the Trill to get the memories to find out where we need to go next. Solve that problem. You join the Federation. Yes, I will. Thanks. Bye. I mean, you see, I don't think there was anything wrong with this episode. I think this is a good episode. The difference, or the rather the problem is that in Next Gen and Deep Space Nine and Voyager there was sort of 20, 25 episodes per season so you were able to fit these episodes in to add the background and the context because you had the luxury of enough episodes to do it. This current TV series has limited itself to 13 episodes which means they've got half the number of episodes to still achieve a similar kind of background and I think that's ultimately where it kind of sometimes gets a bit frustrating because we've spent episode one following Burnham landing, episode two following Discovery landing, episode three seeing Discovery and Burnham back together again, episode four we've now found Adira. Is episode five now going to be we go and find the Federation and actually find out what the main thread and who the big bad might be for this season? Because at the moment we haven't really got a Scooby-Doo, have we? To still not know what the burn is and what caused it and why we're doing this journey that we're doing doesn't leave us much in the way of movement to wrap it all up 
by episode 13 unless it's a massive cliffhanger in which case if it is that's fine but if we're going to get halfway through and we still don't know the burners that's not good is it quick question because you probably know the answer to this do we know how long the trill symbiont squid things do they live forever because they just attach themselves to a new host continually or do they die eventually of say old age I only ask because when Adira gets the Harry Potter Deathly Hallows scene where all the previous hosts all appear which I did like as a scene although it was a direct rip off and if I was uh, JK Rowling I'd be sending some solicitor letters just saying although if you want to be a sponsor of the show (laughs) give us an email discofever at thepodstation.co.uk when they did that there was only five I think there was five previous hosts which included her boyfriend who died and if we assume the other four lived for 150 years because of course extended life with technology and the like you're still only coming to sort of 500 550 years and of course the boyfriend whose name was it Grey? Yeah they've introduced Adira who's non-binary and Grey is a trans person. Yeah Grey Tal who obviously dies at a young age uh, Max, you're looking at sort of five, fifty, six hundred years, but one of those characters had the same sort of Discovery Star Trek uniform on, which suggests that one of those hosts goes back to sort of that timeline they've existed that far back. So that's why I ask: number one, could they have lived for nine hundred years, which would explain being able to yeah. go back that far? And number two, if it does go back that far, should there not be of probably three or four more bodies in that circle to make up that? timeline it seemed like they'd stretched it out awfully far there's probably a simple answer to that and i'm not picking a hole particularly i was just curious you wouldn't be far out if you said what you just said about between 500 and 600 years i think it depends on the health so the host i think will die quicker than the symbiont for through old age which is why i suspect the trill host is more compatible the trills live longer do they maybe age a bit differently to us based on you're just making this shit up aren't you (laughs) there is no substance in fact what you're saying you're just making it up people if you're listening and you know the actual answer as opposed to the bullshit one which i'm happy to accept from mark's perspective because i don't know the answer so he can keep on lying to me for all i know and i'll believe it wholeheartedly but if anybody knows the actual answer then feel free to let us know i just thought you knew with your superior star trek knowledge not that one i'm thinking Here's the way you answer the question, isn't it? If you say it with enough conviction. I answer it in the way that doesn't actually give you an answer, but gives you more information about not having an answer. (laughs) I'm saying, I'm thinking it's between 500 and 600 years. I suspect the symbionts live longer than the hosts do, which is why you have all the different versions of them in their memory. I don't know for certain. And what do we think about the Invisible Friends storyline, which we've had a billion times before in Star Trek, but looks like we're going to have it again. Do we think that Grey is going to be around as her invisible friend because it's a human with a trill although if that were the case why couldn't she see her before and it's not a normal thing because Dax has never had although she did didn't she she did did. there was an episode wasn't there yeah Ezon Dax was I think one of the earliest ones and then you had Esri and then they had uh, Dadzia and then Esri Dax wasn't there because it was the serial killer one wasn't there do we remember how that happened or why that happened the symbiont remembers all of those hosts and I think in the storyline you're referring to similar to this one she'd forgotten about this or something and something happened where she went through a a neuron particle cloud or something which unlocked her memory and ended up her having a dual personality 
where the host of the serial killer was becoming dominant and she was acting out like she's had to go back to the caves of Kumbaya or Malacca, which if you're Greek, <laughs> if you're Greek, you'll think that's funny. If you're not Greek, you won't. She goes back to the caves of Malacca and jumps in the pool and they say, no bombing, no petting, no running. <laughs> no diving. No diving. No ball games. Goes, well, she's non-binary, so she wouldn't, would she? Well, it falls into the no petting category, really, no, doesn't yeah, it? That's true. She gets a big white vest on, jumps in the pool. This episode unlocks all the memories. And that was the problem. Apart from the controversial thing, which didn't seem to be a problem in the end, that she was a human, everything seemed to work out tickety-boo. I suspect the only reason there was the slight drawback to her being human is that she couldn't unlock all those memories. But technically speaking, the crew of Discovery have just used her to get the information, what they need to get to the Federation. I think that's the reason why they were a little bit off with her is because they were like, well, how can you be a host? You're going to put the symbionts at risk. But we have seen it before. I don't think we're going to see Grey again. I do. I I think we'll see him next episode. And I think, I I don't know how long that's going to continue for it. Again, it falls into the Tilly invisible friend. We had one on Next Gen, didn't we? They always love throwing these storylines in. I always find them really annoying because the person who's obviously seeing these people then makes no effort to tell the people that A, could be at risk of this weird occurrence or B, should really know if only because they're your friends and they might want to make sure you're all right, but don't. They just keep it to themselves because that's what you do when you start seeing things that you know shouldn't be there. Well, agreed. That's when it gets a little bit fatigued. We want to see new stuff, particularly in this future. I would have far more been appreciative of an episode that took us to a different planet with different species in. I get the point that we need to talk about the fact that we've got the first non-binary character. The interesting thing is none of them were using the preferred pronouns. I don't know enough about that, which is obviously why Star Trek's a good thing because it does educate you on these things. I'm curious, two things about Grey. The first one is, what do we think the likelihood is that we bring him back to life, bearing in mind that we seem to be able to bring everyone back to life in Discovery? And B, do we not think that in the year 3200, they may have come up with a solution when one gets what is essentially a stab wound to the stomach? It seems to be very selective as to when that is a repairable thing, bearing in mind what pierced Stamets through his torso and what then pierced Grey through his body, upper body and yet the robots were like, nah, can't fix him, leave it, and yet could fix Stamets. Do we not think that was a bit rubbish? I mean, obviously I understand why Grey needed to die for the story arc purpose, but I don't know, you might have needed to blow his head off something. What looked to be, I don't know, a piece of metal or a piece of glass in your stomach didn't seem to be an insurmountable medical problem particularly bearing in mind that you could probably survive something like that in 2020 and one would certainly hope the technology might allow you to survive it with what they have available to them. It seems that in the future the most likelihood of being killed is from a sharp pointy object. I know you'd make everything out of rubber wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, when you've got like phases and being sucked out into space because the hole's been breached or what? The door's left open. Door's left open on the shuttle bays. The fact that so far everyone who's been injured has been through being impaled. Yeah, they do like the old impaling, don't they? This is where the episode lost cohesion because I don't mind introducing new characters. We've seen it before with Uhura, very pioneering, very forward thinking. We are in the future. The fact that they've got a non-binary character and they've now brought in a trans character is great, but it should be acceptable without needing to tell us about it. 
it, if that makes sense. But then what they do, true to form, and I know the LGBTQ RSTU group will agree, they killed off Grey. They do, they do have this habit, don't they, where they kill these characters off, which it caused holy bloody murder when they killed Colbert to the point where they brought him back. And I know they said, oh, that was always planned. My ass, it was. When you got that first sack of hate mail come through yeah, your door. Exactly the same. The first, first gay couple gets killed. And that's a trope across a lot of TV shows. I just wonder why they couldn't have come up with a different story. Why do people always have to die? Why does everyone always have to have a super mega sad story? Mm. Why couldn't she have had a trill insider because the admiral who was the last host was dying and there was nobody else around who was able to do it? Or they tried a couple of people and it failed and she was the last attempt even though she was human and so she was willing to... You know, one of those storylines where it, it doesn't have to have that huge emotional clout. It just seems a bit annoying that they always have to kill people off in order for us to think, oh, wow, they've got a sad backstory. Not everybody always has a sad backstory. Some people just have a, a nice story, but an interesting one. It can be interesting without it being sad, I guess. You should get a new job as a writer on the show. That would have introduced a character with a backstory, which would have been heartwarming when they went to Trill. We could have introduced the Grey character. You could have had a really complex relationship with Grey. Perhaps Grey was initially intended to be the host, but as the Trill said when they landed on the planet, the symbiont chooses the host and not every Trill can be a host because they're not necessarily compatible. And so it could have been that Grey was rejected by the symbiont with the only other option being to try Adira. They do it and then you've got Grey who obviously loves Adira, Adira who obviously loves Grey, but Grey's looking at her thinking, you've got what I have always dreamed of having, which is that symbiont relationship that is my privilege and my right as a trill. That creates a, a complex dynamic of a, a relationship without having to bloody kill Grey off inside of 10 minutes of what was otherwise a, a really good scene. And left the door open for Adira and Grey to meet up again later in the season. And that could have ended their story arc by the end of this season where they go off together in the new founded Starfleet or whatever we, we end our series three on. I just think that's the problem I have with this episode is there are a lot of things to be told in 44 minutes yeah. and I didn't feel it justifiably gave me enough time to actually care less. Final thing before we move on to what useful snippets and facts and information and Easter eggs were hiding in the episode. Quick question what is it about old black and white and perfectly frank not particularly funny movies that always seem to be the go-to on Star Trek episodes. So Voyager, when they were stuck where they had a movie night and they always showed these really old, I'm using air quotes here, classic movies, which obviously at the time were probably considered some of the best films to have ever existed. But when I go back and watch films that were made in the 40s, the 50s and the 60s, the quality of the picture, the changes in our cultural perceptions, the language that's used, the special effects that are used, it doesn't have that same impact on me watching those old films as perhaps it would have done to the people watching it closer to when they were actually originally produced and yet for some reason in the year 3200 they still want to go back to watching the 1940s or 1920s silent movies and all laughing hysterically as though somehow humans and alien senses of humour have reverted back over what 3000 years even more so than our senses of humour that we would have now because if we watched a silent movie like they were doing I wouldn't be laughing at all to be perfectly honest I'd probably be completely bemused by what was going on and yet they always seem to go back to these bloody movies and where the friggin hell are all the seats they've decided to put the show on 
in the landing bay. And no buggers thought we'd best get some seats or some bean bags. We'll we'll replicate some bean bags and we'll get a popcorn machine. We'll turn the lights down so it feels nice and cinema cozy. It's like no, we'll leave the lights on. We'll leave Dave over in the corner using the forklift truck moving stuff around. People can sit on the really comfy hard floor and Giorgio can have the only tub of popcorn that's available. I quite like Buster Keaton and Howard Lloyd. They're not funny now. They were pioneering at the time simply because of the stunts that they were doing. I think with either Buster Keaton's one where the house frontage falls down on him. Nobody has been able to replicate that and considering the the fact that we have the technology they were saying at the time I think they had about an inch either side of the doorway and if the house front had fallen on him he would have died. Charlie Chaplin all of those around the times were pioneer actors in their films and it was the golden age of film Buster Keaton, Howard Lloyd, Charlie Chaplin were all like the greats, the A-listers of the time and in fact the stuff they were doing without the aid of CGI physical effects, every stunt that they did they were actually doing without the aid of a safety net. Oh um, go watch it Discovery if you love it that much I think that's the reason they go back to these things as a homage to where film came from. I know but it takes me out of it slightly when I think what in the year 3200 or 3300 whatever the hell it is that we're in that that's the go to movie to cheer everybody up I mean quite frankly Die Hard should have been it or Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade or Star Wars (laughs) Star Wars would have been ironic It would have been, but I suspect the reason they do what they have done, those shows are out of copyright. Yeah, I don't know. It bothered me slightly. I don't know why. Perhaps it shouldn't. I'm a grumpy old man. I appreciate that, but that's how it is. Moving on, were there any... uh, Well, I say were there any. Of course there are. We've just skipped down the same yellow brick road that we've been down a million times before, but Mark, surprise me. Were there any Easter eggs in this uh, not traditional, typical Star Trek episode? None. You might have been confused thinking that you'd revisited an episode of Deep Space Nine, but in fact, no. And there were Easter eggs that happened to be strictly canon-based. Quick question, have you ever seen the show on Netflix, not a sponsor, called Shit Creek? No, it's on me to do. Is it any good? It's quite funny, actually, yeah. The reason I ask is because Ronnie, who is the character from Shit Creek, plays one of the Trill. Ah, at the moment I'm working my way through the West Wing because that's just become available. So I'm just coming to the end of season one and I'm working through that hard and fast. They're only 20 minute episodes, actually, so you get through it quite quickly. We'll have to review it on a film Podacy, our other podcast. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, drop, drop. This week's episode was filled to the brim of mechanical references. Culber's medical scanner that he uses, been used by Bones McCoy, used it when the Dax symbiont was joined as Amoni Dax. We see... That's um, not a very nice thing to call her. Amoni Dax. But a bump. They must have run out of names. They must have like a, a name generator. There's a part in this episode, Dr. Culber says there's no precedent for having a human living trill symbiont in their body. But That's any wrong. This, I mentioned this last episode. Will Riker, in fact, took on the symbiont of Obasada Odan. Yeah, they missed that really, I suppose. Senatel's name we get now, which is the message we've been waiting for. He looked um, nice and friendly. He was a good admiral. I know you get the good admirals and the bad admirals. I'm happy to wage that he was a good admiral. He looked friendly didn't he and a, a nice little exchange in that scene too short I feel I think he gives nice hugs which you can't give well right not now. anymore maybe I'm just longing for a hug and I saw him I thought ah 
But he get arrested nowadays. <laughs> the hog police are out. The Bajoran Hasparat, spicy Bajoran food that was featured throughout of Deep Space Nine in many episodes. The Next Generation mentioned it in the episode with Ensign Rowe, Preemptive Strike. We've covered it in this episode. The Caves of, I'm saying Malacca, Makala, as mentioned, as you quite rightly said, in the episode Equilibrium, Jadzia had to return back to the home planet. The mention of the word tardigrade, now they never used this last episode, which I was wondering whether it was to do with the legal wranglings with the name Tardigrade, but our friends over the pond at Starfleet Underground quite reliably informed me that the legal case that was in place to prevent that being used has basically said you can't copyright an alien species. <laughs> that mean they can't copyright Klingon? I don't know what they can copyright, but they've come back and said you can't copyright an alien species and therefore Discovery can use the word Tardigrade. Or giant dust mites as we call it. But he mentions it on the Glen in particularly. This references the favourite episode that you like context is for kings and the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry Again, Dark Matter gets referenced. Season 2, New Eden, they wanted to try and make a new interface for the spore drive. This is the scene where your mate Stamets says, no. I mean, I found that really stupid as well, because Saru's absolutely right. Aside from the fact that technologically they should be better able to solve this problem, particularly with the information and the knowledge that they have, he's absolutely right. If Stamets becomes a cropper, I can't remember why it was that Stamets was able to be the recipient of the arm dildos why can't anyone else do it i think you need to be a certain level of prick because <laughs> i i can't remember whether there was anything specific about stamets that allowed him to do it i don't think i don't remember the bean but i could be wrong you know what i can't remember because i think in season one and two my eyes rolled because i just got bored of seeing him he didn't seem to leave his his work environment and then when he was being spoken to he was just a prize noob yeah i don't know unfortunately one of the things i did like in this episode was we saw a starfleet uniform from discovery as you mentioned when we see the various incarnations of the tells dax eye plural dax on dax off but actually it's not dax is it? it's tal so just got to tell you that one of the characters wearing the star trek picard uniform showing a bit of continuity even though we're in the future oh i didn't see that which one was that oh, if you're looking back. on the right hand side i think i saw the com badge which seems to pick the all good things gone with that future I yeah think. there's no records of the joining of trills they said in 2000 years they've got no records however again next generation fans will know that there is in fact that trill not federation members although there is canon in the books that says trill serving starfleet around the time of 2285 which is around the same time as the wrath of khan medical bots they were in the credits that i mentioned on episode one and they're the ones that do the surgery on gray the biggest one that people who haven't seen the short treks will have noticed is zora now she's not actually named in this episode but that's the computer that is in the episode calypso interestingly the actor who plays annabelle wallace apparently has been dating chris pine yeah i'd heard that she reprises her role as the voice of the sphere data why you've been talking i've been trying to find the picture of the former host to see whether i could see the uniforms but alas i can't so i'm gonna have to go back to that scene and pause it and check out for myself It'd be strange if all of the former hosts are all starfleet officers wouldn't it it'd be a yeah, bit the thing is if you're not in federation as they say which is clearly wrong and you've been in the federation at some point the chances are if you're a serving officer in the federation when you come to die you're probably going to be nearest to another federation officer yeah but they're not the ones who get it are they they have to go and do the training at that temple 
sample place and be chosen as a prospective host. That's how yeah, they used to do it. Because one of the storylines for Esri Dax was that she ended up having to assume the Dax symbiont earlier than she was supposed to because obviously Jadzia died prematurely. It's obviously something they're supposed to train for. So it doesn't necessarily follow that they're going to be Starfleet people who are the hosts. Although for obviously the purpose of Star Trek shows, it makes more sense to make them. The last one really, which I don't know whether it's an Easter egg or an observation, the bit where Burnham kind of goes rogue and tasers everybody. And then Adira says, that's not Federation protocol. I mean, obviously the phaser was on stun. What did people think about that? I mean, I liked it. I thought it was brilliant. And particularly yeah. when she sort of asked him the question, he said no. And then you normally expect them to go, look, you need to tell me or else I'm going to shoot. She was like, fuck this. I can find it myself. Bang, done, down, off you go. See you later. That's supposed to give another illustration of how much she's changed in the year that she's been separated from the crew. Quite frankly, it's just another illustration of how kick-ass the new Burnham is and how on board I am on for her way of dealing with things. Hoorah! Well, between her and Giorgio, I'm I'm really happy with the way <laughs> things could go. <laughs> so a bit of genocide and we'll be happy, eh, Mark? I love it, yeah. So that's it really this week for Easter eggs. I'm sure there's probably more. Quick question before I ask for your scores on this episode. Where do you think we're going for the Starfleet base? Because when Adira gave the coordinates to Burnham, she instantly recognised where it was and didn't necessarily look overly keen. Is that we're heading off to Kronos and she's obviously, their last experiences of the Klingons haven't been particularly particularly positive and of course as she's wondering about whether she's going to meet the the great 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 descendant of the fella she used to knock around with or do we think it's off to Vulcan in which case she's obviously going to meet the great 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 descendants of her brother if he's produced any uh, which we obviously know isn't the case which is it good question based on the introduction on the opening credits could be Vulcan because the Vulcan Idic is shown. My hopes are, well, to make it a little bit more exciting for a Star Trek fan, we have to go back through uncharted space back in the other part of the quadrant. I just want somewhere different. I just want them to move the story on now. I feel we started off in gear for the first episode and that was great. We dropped it down to gear three with the here's the same episode but from a different perspective. It then dropped into gear two whilst we reunited the two parties and you're like, well, all right, that's a bit disappointing because we feel like we've lost a bit of momentum but we can now kick on because we've got over that bit and I feel like we're still kicking around in gear two and I now want to jump back into gear four and move it up to gear five as soon as possible because I feel we've lost a bit of momentum. See the thing is I love Star Trek but I think with the whole wealth of characters and species and places to go we've not even touched upon. The whole reason why they went to this new future was they've completely shed themselves of any historic restraint haven't they? They've thrown cannon out of the window and they can just crack on as best suits the storyline and I feel like they're underutilising that advantage at the minute. So what would you give to this episode out of 10? I'm hesitant to ask because I'm suspecting it's not going to be your standard 7 today. No, it's 6. Well, that's not as bad as I thought. I thought you were going worse than that. Despite my rants about certain things, which I've said many, many times before on various subjects, and again, the, the, the culprits to the reasons why I give low scores, the opportunity 
to tell a good story and not lose the audience. A wealth of new characters that we're being introduced to that we've just squandered show us what Discovery could be as a show. Yeah, no, I get that. I think for me, I'm going to give this a really disappointed seven because it's, as I said at the outset, it's a good episode. I enjoyed it. It's not my favourite type of Star Trek episode, but it was a good episode and I still enjoy it. My frustrations are that the moment we're getting fed these episodes weekly, which means that I get all excited about when it drops. I watch it and then I think, yeah, no, but I, I really, I wanted more because I'm only getting it weekly. If they gave me the whole season and I could binge on this, this episode would probably be a nice bridge in between the rest of the episodes, but you kind of lose that because you're getting them piecemeal. I think the episodes are too short, so they're not best utilising that. There aren't enough episodes in the season, which means that I can't help but feel frustration that we're going to lose time to get a really solid storyline for this season. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 7. I feel if we get another one of these episodes, I might even knock that one down to a 6 on the basis that I don't want to keep having old school Star Trek episodes. I want new school Star Trek episodes. I'm happy for the, the storylines and the sort of the current affair topics that they want to raise. That That's cool. I'm happy for that. But do it with new species or in new context lines. Do it with new adventures that we're undergoing. Do it in new environments. It, just change it all. Get out of your comfort zone because it feels like the moment they're riding right in the groove of a comfort zone. Whether that's deliberate or not, I don't know. Sad, really, because they've got a wealth. They could just create stuff. The big bad could be a brand new species we've never even seen before or even heard of. You think about Deep Space Nine, when the Dominion and the Jem'Hadar came, we'd never heard of them before. Who are they? And we'd had the build-up with the shapeshifters and everything else. Well, the Borg when they first landed. Yeah, the Herogen in Voyager. This is a big bad that can take on the Federation and make mincemeat of them. And now with Discovery, one single ship with a spore drive because it makes storytelling far more easier. You said it last week, we're going to Trill. Boom, we're at Trill. We haven't had the travelling where you'd have Picard doing a voiceover to go in, Stardates, 4-4-2-1. Well, they, they wouldn't even be... Yeah, but that's the irony because they wouldn't even be able to do that voiceover that you're talking about because they're travelling through what is essentially the Wild West of space. And so the prospect is that while they're driving from Earth to Trill, they're going to come across about 20 spaceships that all want to blow the living daylights out of them, which then makes for a way more interesting because even just making what was otherwise a simple trip from A to B now isn't a simple trip from A to B. Whereas their little spore drive just goes, poof, magic, they're there. No threat, no risk, except for what we find on Trill. No storytelling. Yeah. Boo. That's it, mate. It's sad, really. Seduce me, writers. That's why I say seduce me. Hopefully you've enjoyed the show. If you have done, give us a five-star review. If you've got any questions or points you'd like to raise, do so on our social media, or you can send an email to discofever at thepodstation.co.uk. Check out our Picard Talk show as well. Subscribe to that. Listen to the catalogue of shows there too. We mentioned it before, actually, a film podacy, which is another show that Mark and I do from time to time where we talk all things film and TV. So that's quite cool. I think that's probably just about it, really, mate. I think we're, uh, we are best draw a line under this before, well, to try and calm down in time for next episode. Thanks a lot for joining us, guys. We hope you've enjoyed it. Away team, out. <laughs>